Hey friends, welcome to The Drivecast, a daily podcast walking through the Bible to help us read it in, pray it up, and live it out. My name's Dan, and I serve as the teaching pastor for our Worthington campus. Today we're looking at Revelation 9, 13 through 21, and things are very interesting in this passage. I'll read the text first, and then we'll get started. Revelation 9, starting at verse 13. The sixth angel blew his trumpet. From the four horns of the golden altar that is before God, I heard a voice say to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who were prepared for the hour, day, month, and year were released to kill a third of the human race. The number of mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. This is how I saw the horses and their riders in the vision. They had breastplates that were fiery red and blue and sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and from their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of the human race was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur that came from their mouths. For the power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, because their tails, which resembled snakes, have heads that inflict injury. The rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands to stop worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. They did not repent for their murderers, their sorcerers, their sexual immorality, and their theft. But we're at the part of the book of Revelation where things are just wild. And it's difficult to interpret what exactly John is talking about or why he's even sharing these things with us. And I think at one level, it's easy to get a bit distracted in the details of this passage, right? We want to know exactly what John was describing. And uh, on one level, it's just really challenging to know exactly what he's talking about here. There's a couple ways to uh, think about this. On one level, we could try and imagine how a first century person would try and describe a 21st century creation. So if, for example, John were talking about a helicopter, what language would he use or have available to him to describe that in a way that made any kind of sense to his original audience? And how would that description then sound to our modern ears? And we can experiment, plug and play different details to try and construct an image of exactly what he's seeing and how that might play out in our context. But while we're listening to this passage today, I actually want us to focus not on the more unclear parts of this passage, but I really want us to uh, lean into the very clear parts of this passage that make the most sense. And that's what we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about today. But let me just give a brief overview of the things that we heard in uh, Revelation 9, 13 through 21. As a summary, the sixth angel blows his trumpet and the second of three terrors unfold. You might remember uh, there's other trumpets that are uh, being blown early on in this uh, passage before verse 13. The voice John hears comes from the four horns of the golden altar, right? And this is we find echoes of Exodus 37, 25, um, this altar that stood before the very presence of God. The prayers of the persecuted people are being answered yet again here as God commands the sixth angel uh, to release the four angels that were bound at the Euphrates 
River. Some of the commentaries that you might read here mention the significance of this region. I mean, these uh, four corners of the Euphrates River, sometimes we refer to this as the cradle of civilization, the, uh, the very epicenter of God's creative work and the culmination of his work all happening here in this same region. Right? Uh, what you see here is that uh, this region was incredibly uh, prominent in, in uh, the biblical storyline. Everyone from Jerusalem to Rome and beyond uh, would, would, have, would see that their worst political uh, and military nightmares were about to come true as an army of 200 million, John says, came up from the east to wage war. Horses with riders uh, in red, dark blue, and yellow, representing fire, smoke, and sulfur, uh, come to kill a third of the population. Uh, this echoes a lot of the prophetic prophetic imagery from uh, the Old Testament prophet Joel, particularly in chapter 2. Uh, John's vision here and in the rest of nine, chapter 9 reveals that a human evil emerges from what John calls idolatry. You see that at the very end uh, in verse 21. In some ways, you could say this, you become like what you worship. That's verse 20 and 21. Or as uh, modern philosopher Jamie K.A. Smith says, uh, we are what we love. As human beings, we are wired to worship something. And that internal drive will rear its head, whether we recognize it or not. Hiding behind every action that we have is this impulse to worship someone or something. What's interesting about our current cultural moment is that we tend to believe we can compartmentalize a quote-unquote spiritual aspect of our lives, and yet the haunting idea lurking behind this passage is that idolatry will eventually rear its head and demand more than our allegiance. In the end, what idols do is they, they demand our very lives. The other thing embedded in this passage is the solution to idolatry. Did you catch it? Repentance. And that's one of those religious-sounding words that sometimes we become so familiar with that we miss how profound and shocking the idea really is. Originally, uh, this word uh, repent means to, to turn around or to be caused to turn around. And it's a vivid picture of physically going in the opposite direction, making a 180 and going the other way. And this is what repentance in Revelation is talking about. It's turning away from idols, these things that demand our lives, and turning towards someone or something else. The Apostle Paul talks about this idea in the book of 1 Thessalonians when he commends that church uh, for doing this very thing, for turning from idols to serve the living uh, and true God and wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who uh, rescues us from the coming wrath. I mean, this process of repentance is turning away from that which takes our life and turning towards the one who gave his life. Right Today, as we look at this passage, we join the long-standing work of God's people of turning again and again to Jesus as we are renovated, reshaped, and reformed more into his image and his likeness. Now we're going to take a moment to pray it up. 
We want to pray back the scriptures and the ideas we find embedded in the scriptures back to God. Maybe today uh, you need to take a moment and ask yourself, are there idols that we continually turn to? And like John talks about here, idols can be anything. Any good thing that we make into a God-like thing in our lives uh, is really an idol. And so our career can become an idol when our career is the thing that we believe is going to provide our ultimate source of joy, peace, satisfaction, and comfort. Something as basic as money or sex or uh, whatever else we might give ourselves to can become an idol in our lives. I think this passage invites us to consider what idols we may have lurking deep within the shadows of our own hearts. Let's take a moment and pray together around those themes. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are the one who knows us completely. And it is true that you know us better than we even know ourselves. You know the parts of our hearts that we would rather keep hidden from you. You are the great revealer. And yet we also know that you are a loving father who knows what we need before we open our mouths to ask. You are the one who knows uh, what we were created to find true, lasting, and meaningful joy in. And yet so often we willingly give ourselves to these other things that promise life, that promise hope, that promise the life we, we, we think we want and yet they don't give life. These idols take our lives. We pray, Father, that you today, by your Holy Spirit, would draw us to repentance, that you would lead us to make a 180 and turn away from these things and turn towards you and you alone. Let me give you a couple moments to pray to yourself this morning. Finally, we don't just want to uh, read it in, pray it up, but we want to live this out today. And we've talked quite a bit about this process of repentance. And I do think that this is a communal activity, not something we're meant to do just alone, but we are invited in the church to bring other people into this process as we turn around, as we turn from idols and turn to the living God himself and so I invite you to pause. Maybe you've already been thinking about a particular idol that you have. Who is one other person in your life that you can bring into this conversation about where you may have given your heart and your mind to a good thing that's become a God thing in your life? Living this passage out means you're going to invite that person into that conversation, to, to ask you hard questions, to continue the journey, uh, the lifelong journey that is repentance of turning around and turning towards our living God. See, I love Revelation 9 because it gives us a very vivid picture of repentance. 
this process of turning from these things that demand our lives and turning towards the one who has given his life for us. Thanks for tuning in to The Drivecast, and we'll see you next week.